Are your school days out of sight? When you took English, art, and math, what's your favorite Fahrenheit? How sour are the grapes of wrath? Do you need a challenger for discussing Salinger? Do you love the written word? What happened to the mockingbird? Our show is just beginning, so find a place to sit. These questions will be on the test. It's time for sophomore lit. Welcome back to Sophomore Lit, where we reread your 10th grade reading list. I'm John McCoy, and with me are returning co-host Ross Cleaver and first-time co-host James Randall. Hello. Hi. Hello, everyone. Recording from all the way across the pond, why don't you introduce yourselves and tell uh, the people out there where they might have heard you? I'm Ross. This is, a, if you hear my voice, I'm Ross. Um, <laughs> so, uh you may hear us on me and James do a podcast with our friend John, uh, not this John, another John, um, about British horror movies and horror books, and basically uh, we call it horrific British horror. So um, stuff from the seventies and the sixties, um, and yeah, that's called General Witchfinders, and we've been doing that for uh, about three. It'll be three years this, this January. So um, yeah, and James, you want to introduce yourself? Oh yeah, fine. I don't do any other podcasts. Uh, like Ross does like three or four. I just do general witch finders uh, with him. I'm a uh, I'm a teacher here in the south of England. Uh, I went to school with Ross. Ross is my oldest and best friend, um, and we we've known each other since 1989. And he very kindly, and John also very kindly, extending the uh, invitation, uh, asked me to talk about this, which is the Prince in Waiting, which is a book which both of us read. Yes. In, in yeah, like tenth tenth grade for America for, for the states, year ten for us, and yeah, it, it it was it had a huge impact on both of us. Yes, yeah. This time we are doing John Christopher's The Prince in Waiting of nineteen seventy. Um, when I was talking about this with Ross, I mentioned that I knew John Christopher uh, from having read the tripods books, mm -hmm. which were, uh, in, in the States, at least they came in this wonderful, <laughs> uh, psychedelic paperback cover that had like these line drawings on it that looked sort of like they were designed by Peter Max or something it's like very <laughs> pop arty. And they, but, and, and th those books burnt themselves into my brain. Uh, I did not read any of the rest of, of the, uh, John Christopher books, uh, whose whose real name I find out is Sam Yud, uh, but uh, but he, he he had quite a career. I'm uh, looking back, mm, hell of a career. I, the, the one thing I did know is somewhere along the line in one of these books of uh, of trashy paperback cover art uh I, I have i have i have like a couple of these books i, I saw a, a a cover for his book the little people oh, from yeah. 1966 which features a which features a fantasy dwarf uh wearing a swastika armband yes. uh, i have no idea what that book is about but i, I i'm curious i do it's exactly it. what you think it is <laughs> Yeah, I do own it, um, but the first chapter's missing. But apparently, if you, it's because it's um, quite a uh, controversial and but also um, <laughs> renowned book. If you can if you can get it on eBay, it's worth quite a lot of money. And I, mm. I bought one on. I thought this is not this is like relatively cheap, but I need to get a hold of this. And when it came through, it had the first chapter missing on it, and the guy ah. was going. Uh, so, but I, I will read that one day. But he he um, <laughs> he, he he's someone um, I think for. For me and James in particular, um, but the tripods was a, a 
there was a big TV program for us when we was growing up. They did a, yes. a BBC adaptation of it. Um, it was very much a sort of um, in the vein of Doctor Who, that was sort of uh, outside broadcast video and um, shonky BBC uh, <laughs> effects and stuff. But that was correct. They made the first because that was a trilogy. They made the first two books of that into a TV program, which was like blow your mind. When you, how old we would have been about that? Eight or nine? Oh, yeah, yeah, around about that age. Yeah, which yeah. is essentially the same conceit which is in this book and many of his other books, which he seems to have the same conceit over and over again, which we'll come to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was also a couple of other books we read, which is um, something like, there's one called um, Empty World. Which Empty is all, World. Which is um, basically uh, everyone dies apart from children, I think it is, mm-hmm. or something like that, again, which is now like- being redone by Charlie Higson, um, which is the guy who writes the young James Bond novels, and that's become like a massive sort of phenomenon, that that same conceit, but, you know, the children are the only ones left in the world. Um, but yeah, it's mm. one of those, uh, it's a, a real touchstone for us. But yeah, when you look at his writing career, he, he was just, he just churned a lot of this stuff out. Yeah, I read, uh, in preparing for this, I read his, uh, his obituary, and it said that, uh, you know, at, at his peak, he was, he was churning out four books a year which is astonishing if you think about it. Like, you know, true, if you know, like when we talk about Prince in Waiting a bit, it's only 160 pages, but even still to be that prolific is really, really, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great thing. And he's had quite a few of his books um, made into films as well, which is interesting. Mm. And, and like all over, like in Germany and in different places in Europe, they, they seem to have latched onto some of his books as well. Well, he strikes me uh, very much as a journeyman author mm. of, the, mm. of the kind that, uh, you know, in the States, I think about people like, um, you know, ar- ar- around the same time, people like Harlan Ellison, mm. who were just hitting the bricks and writing mm-hmm. and, and selling it everywhere they could. And they took it as sort of a point of pride that they could churn out the, the pages. Mm. I, I think the, I guess the closest we have to that today is someone like Stephen King, yeah. I guess, mm. but they, but, uh, but yeah, so, so this is the first of three books. Yes. Um, and, and I, I, I will read, I will discuss this having not read the other two books. So you will discuss it having read the other two books. Uh, this is a book about a, uh, a, boy growing up in a medieval feudal society that's highly militaristic uh where by chance and it's it seems at first by chance he gets uh his father is appointed the prince of this city-state uh and over time you know it's spoiler alerts um it it becomes a apparent that this is all taking place in a far future of post-apocalyptic uh great britain uh particularly particularly in, in in hampshire i believe mm-hmm. right this is correct right yeah. the, right it's it's all in, in winchester is is the main and 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 i think that if if i were uh if i were more versed on my names uh of, of place names in, in england i would be oh yeah that's that's that's, that's that place or that place. yeah so so i think that as a as a, a kid reading this book the expectation is you're supposed to pretty early in the book understand that something strange is happening here mm-hmm. and it eventually uh becomes uh clear that they're living in a in some sort of a post-apocalypse now what that apocalypse is is not clearly s- uh spelled out 
but in a way it's kind of beside the point. On my brother's podcast, The Flophouse, uh, Stuart Wellington always likes to talk about the malign paradigm shift, which is when uh, the main character suddenly learns that everything that they knew about the world is is, is wrong. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 that, and that happens in this book. That happens in uh, the, the, the Tripods books. I, I, I suspect that this is something of a of a of a trope for uh yes. for, for christopher <laughs> yeah uh, um so so where do you want to start with this do you want to talk about uh i think uh, you, you guys said you both read this as as, as kids when you was it assigned as for for school or was there yes. something you read okay i should point out and without and worrying about putting your audience to sleep john i'll try and make this as, <laughs> as painless as possible um that in england uh in terms of what do students have to cover and what do students have to read? It wasn't until 1989 that we had a formed up national curriculum. Up until that point, students had to do exams at the age of 16 and then again at the age of 18 if they wanted to go to university. And really what texts they would study in English were entirely dictated by whatever the exam boards were saying. So it'd be like, okay, you need to have read this if you want to do English Lit. Because the exam boards say so. So round about 1989, the government decided that there was too much, this was too uneven, and that everything had to be uh, kind of made standardised, and there had to be certain key texts that everybody had to do, so on and so forth. So by the time that Ross and I got to year 10 or, or 10th grade, it was 1992. So still the very, very early days of this uh, national curriculum. And I think the people who ran our English department, um, they set us these texts. These were kind of hangovers from the time before when English departments could be a little more flexible in what they set. Um, now as a teacher myself, I totally understand why they set these because they're fit because john christopher his writing style is so it's really easy to read and he's quick he gets right into it you know as i'm going to say this a couple of times it's like the anti-game of thrones oh, in a way i've written that the, down yeah game, <laughs> hey, of, game of thrones for 11 year olds basically yeah 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 but whereas george r martin will take 500 pages to get into something christopher cracks through it in a chapter he's quick he's mm. really 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 fast and i'm someone that i have no real love for fantasy at all I, i'm one of the people that get like um lord of the rings leaves me cold normal sword and sorcery sorry um, so normal sword and sorcery stuff doesn't really do it for me but i can remember starting this in english in our english class and straight away from that first chapter thinking oh this is good mm. and then when we get to that you know kind of aforementioned reveal that wait a minute this isn't the medieval periods uh, and what and one of the one of the reasons why it works so well is that the main setting of it which is winchester has been a kind of a medieval powerhouse and was briefly capital of england mm. until london usurps it for a while so they, so as you start to read it especially as an english person where you're like oh yeah i can totally believe that you know this is a story set in the in, in the medieval periods and then oh my god Oh, wait a minute there's more going on here or, than i realized yeah, dwarfs. And then... you don't hang on yeah, so... <laughs> chapter one dwarves yeah. yeah um and also i think for for us because we live in the south of england and winchester mm -hmm. is with it about how long about an hour drive oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so this yeah. is this is near near us and all the like you said um john that if you if you're from this area all of these name place names are um familiar there's a point in the book uh, towards the end, they talk about Dorchester, where I live, being over overtaken by barbarians. Barbarians, <laughs> that's so right. It just makes that <laughs> West more, Country barbarians, yeah, so much more exciting <laughs> as a kid when you're like, 
well, this is happening where I live. You know, this, yeah. this, is, this is just, you know, Stone. they go to Stonehenge at it. Stonehenge, which is, yes. Which is near here as well. So that was very exciting. But when we're talking about the reveal, that pretty much happens in chapter two. And and for me, as a, my memory as a kid was that that reveal was like a massive, like, like revelation. What? Like, yeah. yeah, that it happened in the third act or something. But it's just like, it happens... Because it's I think, page 20. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've highlighted it. I've got it. I've got it good to go. Yeah. Whenever. <laughs> but they basically, he's, they find a piece of wood, which is talking about um, a television repair shop or something. But no, just... he's, it's, it's not fair. He's, uh, his, his, his half brother is using it to, t- to tie the horses up to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's that idea when, when, it, when that happened in the, in their classroom, you're like, Ooh, blows your mind. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but you've got to think this is, this is back along. Before you've never <laughs> never come across anything like that before. We 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 were still wet behind the ears. We yeah. were very very young and naive. <laughs> so so the, the hero of this book um, is named Luke, and then I had to laugh like halfway through the book. We learned that his surname is Perry. So Perry. It's, it's Luke. <laughs> Luke Perry. <laughs> this was, I never got that. Yeah. This well, well, this was written in 1970. Yeah. Many, many, many years before 90210. So, um, <laughs> but I think any any current reader might find that a little hilarious. Yeah. But Luke Luke Perry um, is an interesting uh, hero in that he is arrogant. Mm-hmm. He is not very smart. He, he seems to really buy hook, line, and sinker into this whole feudal world system where everything is run by uh codes of honor and it's considered perfectly acceptable to depose people through violence and that's you know he 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 he, lo- he kind of loves it he has this happy accident he thinks it's a happy accident it later mm. turns out that it was planned that he gets substituted in the the attorneys mm-hmm. that uh, get to choose who are going to be the warriors each year. This seems like an inefficient way to run a system. <laughs> city, you're, you're kind of excluding a lot of people yeah. from being in your fighting forces this way. But there, but, but the whole thing, ha- the whole book has uh, lots of little details about this medieval world and what the uh, code of code of honor is and how uh, it, it arranges itself politically. And then there are these there's even this uh, religion, which is the seers, mm-hmm. these wise people who tell uh, everyone what's the spirits, the, the guiding spirits of the world want them to do. Um, I think this is another thing that becomes a big reveal mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of the book. This is sort of the second big reveal is like what the seers really are up to. Mm-hmm. And I can mm-hmm. imagine that as a kid... That must be kind of mind blowing. Yeah. As yeah. Uh, kind of a, a jaded adult reader, the first thing I thought was like, oh, well, obviously these guys are pulling the strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, reading, reading it again this second time in preparation this week, which was lovely. It was such a, I'm really, really happy to have done this because it's the first time I've read it properly since I was 15. So as a result, it's like, oh my God, yes, I think, of course, now I remember it all comes back. But I said, like, the one point, like, when they're attacking, um, they've, they've gone to, they've gone to attack one of the other towns and they're absolutely outraged because, like, machines are outlawed, you know, because that's what they thought brought down society before. And then, like, reading it, it's like, oh, don't worry, we, we'll just attack the guy, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll attack the cannons or they don't, they don't know that they're cannons. It'll be fine. 
fine, it'll be fine. And then they're amazed when they explode. Mm. And now reading it as an adult, I'm like, somebody's just sabotaged that gun. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then it's like, how did I not pick up on that when I was 15? Mm. And then at the end, they really point out to him, they go, we sabotaged that gun, you know. Mm. And it's like, oh, of course. Yeah, and the fact that the the the, the seers, they can talk to each other because they're using radio. And Radios, yeah. They communicate through... Um, doing like seances because it turns out that after the the big disaster but they kind of imply Mm. that um the world got to the point where we had weapons which could destroy each other and we and they Mm. assumed that would that was what would happen but then there was a natural a natural disaster which actually Mm. destroyed something to do with sunspots and and they're not sure which is which is good yeah we still don't know what happens yeah but apparently (laughs) off the back of that there was a a a rise in spiritualism which is interesting because that happened after first world war in this country when you know after Mm. a big disaster everyone just turned to spiritualism and then the scientists they managed they basically took over the spiritualist church in order to um start controlling the people and they were doing like Mm. fake seances with like recorded people uh, people's voices recorded and yes. projections and uh and using radios to communicate with each other and and, and all that kind of stuff and i thought that was yeah. it's great i feel to <laughs> me like, it's a great like, idea what you just said um john because i was like well they did they gave away the, the twist really early but actually the that was the twist it was the future wasn't really it was just something it was in the background because not nothing much happened with that but then the twist about the seers being behind him, I think that did come yes. near the end. So that was kind of like a tradi- the, the traditional sort of third act twist as well. Right. Mm. I, I, the, I do think that Christopher sets up some expectations and then uh, confounds them. For example, mm. early on in the book, he talks about how everyone hates the Christians. That there's mm. the, there's this mm. group of there's this group of citizenry that are Christians, and they're a bunch of uh, you know nobody likes them because they're all pacifists. So mm-hmm. they, they make terrible warriors, and and people just tolerate them. And he kind of think you know well he's setting them up at some point in the book there'll be a return to christianity but then in the end it turns out that they're just like another uh group that's vying for power there's mm. like there's mm. seven or eight groups of vying for power and uh luke comes from a complicated family mm. he comes from a family with a first uh where the first wife has the older son uh and she's it turns out that she's not too happy about that and mm. she tries to uh she tries to to have uh her husband and 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 luke killed and that's kind of shocking i actually mm. have to say that and 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 then there's like a a terrible execution of her mm-hmm. there's the uh the the old uh prince gets deposed when uh there's kind of a vote of non-confidence and the seers say oh the spirits say it's totally okay i know we told mm. you yesterday you must never you must <laughs> never depose a prince but the seers the spirits say it's okay today and there's a lot of violence back and forth and court intrigue and family members turning on family members yeah. and i have to say i admire that in, in mm. christopher that he's willing to go there mm. uh you know because because you know the other stuff that i think of you know when i think of uh british fantasy i think about things like the chronicles of narnia and stuff mm. and that's all very genteel mm. and all the yes. you know all the good guys are, would never do anything like this yeah. you know and uh, you know luther isn't that great a guy he's not smart he doesn't know what's going on. He's kind of a puppet himself, and they and the Sears reveal their plans to him because they have to. Because mm. like their plan gets screwed up. Their plan was to like put him in charge and pull the strings, but then mm. 
he, he gets deposed himself. And so I assume they're just setting up the action for the rest of the books yeah. here. But, but yeah. it was, it was, um, but that's why I said it was like Game of Thrones. It was, it was, it was so many people like double crossing each other and, yep. and, and having like, again, these, these complicated family positions and, and like the seers sort of like screwing with people saying, oh, actually you should, you know, you are the next in line, but the seers have picked the person who's the next behind that. And, you know, obviously that's going to cause some kind of like uh, ruckus. But I think and, it's what, what you were saying about um, uh, Luke not being a particularly nice character as mm. well. That allowed all of this kind of stuff to happen. It was, he wasn't like someone because there's, there's a caste system here. You've got you got uh, true men, polymaths mm. who are basically mm-hmm. mutants, yeah, uh, and you've got dwarves, and uh, so and that's just seen to him as that's the way things are. And and mm. Christians are down there, down the bottom somewhere. You know, the, the, they they live in the, the worst parts of town and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's 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 brave for a children's author to say, "Well, that person lives in that world, so that's what he believes." It wasn't mm. a case of like, "I don't think this is right," and he's fighting to change change the status mm. quo. It's just like, "Well, this is what where the, this is the way it is," and, and I think that's quite a realistic um, way of putting things. And all this in 160 pages. Yeah. <laughs> it's brevity. It's mm. the king of brevity. Having not read this book before, it put me in mind of a few things. It put me in mind of uh, earlier British uh, books like the, the Chrysalids, mm-hmm. um, for, uh, which was another book that took place in the kind of a far future where the apocalypse is long ago. And and it also put me in mind of the American novel uh, Canticle for Leibowitz, which mm. I mentioned before on this podcast, uh, which is another book that, that speculates that after uh, apo- the apocalypse, the world r- will return to feudalism or medievalism, and yeah. there will be some uh, society trying to keep alive knowledge. And as, a, as an idea, that's been a... Uh, you know, persistent one in science fiction. I don't know exactly who came up with it in the first place, but um, this is a, a great introduction to that mm. for for kids, I think. And yeah. it also occurred to me this is sort of like the um, this is sort of a young adult novel written decades and decades before the Hunger Games. Mm. Oh uh, yeah, and 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 really, you know, this is sort of like a whole genre now. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that that was something I was talking about with my wife, and I, I'll I'll put it to you. Why do you think it's so popular <laughs> for teenagers to read books in which uh, the the world has 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 gone to hell, and now it's going to be up to them to somehow mm. reestablish uh, some sort of normalcy? I think it, it, it's it it puts the a, a young person in a world where they can actually have some kind of power over things, um, control, yeah. yeah. You know, someone who is sixteen or seventeen, it's effectively, could be king. You know, because that that actually happened back then. Oh. Um, I think it 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 makes a world which is a lot more a lot simpler. And I think, I think you know, older men who write these sort of books are just just desperate to get back to like Roman <laughs> times or or knights and all that kind of stuff because it was just cooler for men to go around and just hack people up with swords. But you know, it's just I think it. it I think it's just a, a, a simpler times, um, but also there's that fear. And I think there was a fear then, and we're coming back to that. That, that the world might end any minute. Mm. So you know, what? How would humans survive if if it all went to, all went to shit? Well, there's. Uh, I I agree with what with, with what 
Ross says. Um, also, uh, the aforementioned empty world that John Christopher did, that's exactly the same premise. Again, the notion that this thing called the Calcutta Plague comes along, kills off you know adults and lots of kids too, mm. uh, but mainly leaves children, you know, just kind of a, a depopulated world now just run by run by children and it said there's something so alluring in that i think when you're a teenager that notion of well if i was in charge and if i was making the rules here's how i do it and how might that you know how would what would that look like so i think there's there's plenty of that but i also think all of those things as well um something that i was hoping to talk about i don't know if you want to do it now or towards the end is the notion of the cozy catastrophe are you, are you guys familiar with this? It's, it, the, the science fiction writer Brian Aldiss came up with it. This kind of the British science fiction post-war writer that sort of writes about the end of the world coming not with a bang, but with a whimper. And mm. as to what might happen after an apocalypse and how that's been a real touchstone for these writers. Mm. But I don't yeah, know if you want well, to talk like, about well, that. The and, um, yes. Yeah, yeah that's, that'd be a good one to do if you haven't done it already. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the other thing that um, I get from having just read this one book and having read the Tripods book is I see that um, this this whole idea of there there being uh, sort of a conspiracy out there that's actually mm. running the show mm. that this is um, this is a, a a theme that I I suspect is very important to Christopher the idea that culturation is in some ways indoctrination that there are mm. re there are ways that culture uh makes people malleable and makes them a able to be controlled and just as the seers are trying to control you know it's it's a it's an interesting thing because the seers themselves i don't know whether i'm supposed to find them in any way less reprehensible than anyone else mm. because on the while they are trying to perhaps bring about a return to what they see as a correct civilization they're doing it in a duplicitous way mm -hmm. and they're doing it through the uh you know the 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 lives and deaths of real people mm. uh that they're manipulating um and in the in the tripods of course though the the story was that uh these aliens uh controlled people by by putting these caps on their heads that made them uh less aggressive more susceptible mm. to suggestion but there's this whole class of people out there that know what's going on and although the culture says oh this is great get your cap that's when you become an adult there's people out there that are secretly working against the the the, the against culture and th that's mm. an interesting idea you know i i i would like to know more about uh christopher's own politics and what he was thinking about but it seems like he he's he's teaching kids to be uh skeptics yeah in a kind mm. of yeah, yeah 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 and i think uh, as with with the tripods and and in this book because i was reading when i was reading it, i was thinking i was thinking that the the seers are trying to put the world back into some kind of order yes. because they're saying that what's happening essentially is that um all of the sort of the mutated polymuff people so basically um you're if you have a deformed child you're not meant to really let it grow let it live yeah, yeah. But if you do you end up becoming a lower class and it's, it's all about keeping men pure and stuff whereas outside of the cities it's just everything's sort of there's like there's polymuff animals and and they these people are, and these kind of um mutated people are starting to take over like the civilized lands and they're trying to join all the cities together so that they mm. can fight this off and push it away 
And I think as a child, I brought, brought up, oh, yeah, that's what you should be doing. But when I was reading, I was thinking, well, all of this, what's happened is actually, it's natural. It's, it's, an, it's not a man-made disaster. This is what's happened because, because of like, what's happened in the world. So maybe this is what should be happening and maybe they shouldn't be fighting against it. Why, why do like these, like these very, very few men who basically, like, the scientists messed up the world in the first place, why have they got the right to say, okay, well, we need to put it back to how it was? And, and, and you start thinking, well, is this, is this, is this the right thing to do anyway? Should, should it, we just be leaving it? And the same with like in the tripods where, um, all of the people are capped, but they suddenly become passive and there's no wars right. and everyone's just having a lovely kind of like <laughs> life. And, and then these people go, well, we want to go and fight, you know, what you shouldn't say. And it's like, you know, I noted today in in preparing for this because I was like, oh, I'm not actually sure what happens at the end of the tripods. That it's like once you know, kind of like the aliens have left, humanity starts sort of arguing amongst themselves again, mm. which I think just enforces your opinion, Ross. It's yeah. kind of like, what's he kind of saying? Like, well, maybe we were better off like that. Yeah. You know, maybe. And also, I noticed that when he did the tripods prequel. Mm-hmm. Much, much uh, to reveal how it was that the aliens managed to take over. In short, TV was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a, a hypnotic TV program that everyone got into watching, and that's how they managed to cap people. I was like, oh, okay. There was a lot of uh, anti-TV sentiment in the mm. books of the sixties and seventies. Oh, I yeah. think that they could see the writing on the wall <laughs> that it was coming. Every time any kind of new media comes along, it's always completely panned mm. by the old media. And that includes novels, that includes radio, movies, you know, plays, yep. whatever you want to. There was someone angry with it at one point or another. Writing, mm. uh, you know, famously, uh, the, 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 the Greek uh, philosophers were kind of like, you, you write things down and people are going right, yeah. to lose their memory. <laughs> I am very curious after reading this too. To, to know more about um, Christopher's uh, personality in life. I, he, he seems like a really interesting guy. Um, the one thing I will say about this as, as a book is it really re- reads to me sort of like a boy's own adventure mm. in mm. that it is entirely sword fights and mm. uh, battles and there are almost no women at all. Exactly. This. Yes. And <laughs> there's, one, there's one character... Uh, Jenny, who I think is, who I, as, as you can tell me if I'm right or not, I feel like she's being established so that she can come back in another no- novel and be the girlfriend, yeah. you know, because yeah. there's kind of a, a meat cute, uh, that she's like the, the daughter of the deposed prince and, and, and not a friend to Luke. And I have Steven, a feeling that yes. there's, yeah, they're going to eventually come around together. Somehow. Yeah, there's a couple of princesses in the, in the, in the other books, which like cause a bit of trouble, but it is mainly for me. And I was just thinking like, this is, this is not really great for young girls. Probably, well, you know, that's <laughs> when you're at school. It's, yeah, read this book. It's all men, and they're just all fighting, and yeah. the, the, there's some like mutants in it, and uh, <laughs> it, it's, you can tell that yes. like, all our English department, but probably apart from one female English teacher, I think they're pretty much yeah. all men in their sixties. Yeah. yeah, he's right. <laughs> well, I should. Um... Oh my god, it's absolutely gone from my head. Sorry. Mm. Okay, carry on. That's <laughs> no, no, all good. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Christians are being set up because that's a that's a big part in the in later mm. books where the Christians start throwing their weight around a little bit. And um, but I've got to say though, it ends so abruptly, which I yeah. was was very essentially what happens is um, 
uh, Luke has to sort of leave the city because of um, people sort of jostling for position and, and his, his father being killed and him sort of like... His, be, being, his half-brother yeah, has ascended to, to the throne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by using his Christian wife's hands and that kind of stuff. <laughs> And the last chapter is like, oh, and there's a trapdoor underneath Stonehenge, and uh, mm-hmm. and they they're, they're going to make him a special sword, and that's the end. And so it's, it's oh, you've got a lot to learn. Yeah, <laughs> okay. But, but it's quite interesting though because I was saying there's a big thing at the moment where they're trying to build a tunnel not directly underneath Stonehenge, but near Stonehenge. Mm. And a lot of people yeah, are saying, we, yes. look, you sh- we shouldn't be doing this or trying to stop it. And I was like, oh, is that the tunnel which is going to be used <laughs> for where the, where the seers are all going to be put in there? You, you know, when, when I went to Stonehenge back in college, you know, I was I was in, in London for uh, a, a semester in college and we traveled around. I, the thing that I always will remember about is there's like that road that mm. goes like within That's it. A, a, a few yards of Stonehenge. I'm like, who? What the, who put that there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and now they want a big, big, big tunnel well, or something. Yeah. Well, what I will say is, and also just for, just uh, for the benefit of maybe of your uh, American listeners, you might go, "Oh yes, that's as exactly as as quaint and as wacky as we expect the UK to be." They did a documentary about that road, John. <laughs> it's called the it's called the it's it's called the A three hundred three, and it goes from it kind of goes it goes from like um. It's a really, it's a really, really old road. It's not like they went, okay, we're building a road. Oh, look, let's make it run right next to Stonehenge. It's a road that's been there for, you know, kind of almost dating back to Roman times, and they just kind of built over it. But so yes, so the BBC did a whole documentary about the history of the three hundred three. <laughs> so yeah, just public service broadcasting yeah. at its very best. <laughs> but I did go to um, I went to Stonehenge for my foot, even though it's just down the road from me. I I, I went there. This summer, it was a birthday treat for, um, because I said to my wife, I'd never been to Stonehenge. She said, what? So he got me um, a special ticket to be in the actual circle of the stones for dawn. For the, 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 um, it was only us and sort of like 12 other people on there. And um, it, it, it does feel, it is, I think it, I was saying to a friend of mine that I don't, I'm not a spiritual person. I don't believe in anything <laughs> spiritual, but. I did have the collie wobbles when I was in there, and I don't know if it's just because it's such a. <laughs> That's the technical term. Yeah, I think it's like I said. It's like being inside a famous person. It's just like this is like. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might want to rephrase that. that yeah. <laughs> but, but it was like this is such an iconic place, and I'm standing here, and it's and it's it looks fake. Because because mm. it just your mind just can't get your head around like that's Stonehenge and it's and they're desperately going do not mm. touch it you're not allowed to touch any of the stones do not touch any of the stones <laughs> and as we walked away my wife goes did you touch them went, no she goes I did and I was like oh, no you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. you see you're banned from Stonehenge. Yeah. When I was in in London, I knew somebody who touched the Stonehenge, and he also, when we were in the British Museum, in those days, the uh, Rosetta Stone was not behind glass. It was just, there was kind Mm. of a a partition that was circling around it, but it was on the open air. And and he said, John, I'm going to to touch the Rosetta Stone. I said, you can't touch the Rosetta Stone. He goes, oh, I'm going to touch it. (laughs) And he reached over and he started (laughs) touching it. And I will always look, remember the look of, of horror on the the poor 
patrons around there like looking at him like should we do something <laughs> should we call someone and i was thinking like myself this is like the quint- quintessentially american english uh moment here oh, i gotta say when i there was when i went there there was two english uh, two american groups one there was a guy with a pokemon go t-shirt on <laughs> playing pokemon go in in the bus up to stonehenge playing pokemon go in in it the time he looked up, his, his girlfriend said, let's take a picture. He looked up, there was a picture taken. Then we carried on playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> well, and and you've got to catch them all. Yeah. That's what the Druid said, Ross. Yeah, and the, and the other one was a, a group who came in, took off all their shoes and socks and were bowing down to the, um, to the, stones. the stones and anointing themselves with oils. And then we, had, we couldn't get them back into the coach to leave because they wanted to touch all the flowers which were around, <laughs> on, around it. It was like... Brilliant! You know, it's just just some stones are doing this to, the, to all these people. It's great. You know, you know, as long as we're we're running far afield Sorry. of the book, you mentioned you <laughs> mentioned the 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 television adaptation of the tripods. I actually saw, I think, the first one of those, and it re- it reminded me of there was this period between like nineteen seventies BBC, which. It was when you had I Claudius and you had all the like, mm. wonderful, wonderful actors, just crap production values. <laughs> like everything was in in a in a black soundstage with plywood behind them. And before the modern era of British television, where they finally got their budget together and they they did the new Doctor Who series, and I'm like, okay, we're going to actually do some digital effects with this, and it's going to look okay. There was this time in the 1980s where British television was very strange. Yeah. And, and I remember there was there was that, and there was the adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. Yes. Both good and bad. In the, good in that they, they had all the original radio players. Uh, and, and to my mind, it, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is is foremost a radio play, you know, yes. because I'm, I'm a snob that way. You know, they didn't have good sets. They didn't have good costumes. They didn't have... But, you know, no, but they were trying. Well, I got it on Blu-ray, so I could get that real bad quality in 4K. <laughs> you, know? you can see for yourself in, in high definition how bad people Brox's second head is. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, but then I watched the movie, and I was like, this is rubbish. It's not as good as the TV program. Oh, no, the, the movie is terrible. Yeah. Uh, the, the, TV, the TV show contains some of that strange charm, charm. of the... Of, um, of, yeah. You know, because the original se- series was not planned. It mm. was just like... He making it up as he went along, and 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 you know I I love Douglas, Douglas Adams, but I feel like the more he tried to plot his things, yeah. the less interesting they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or we just just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, but I um I said to James the other day we was, we was reviewing on um our podcast reviewing an old uh, Doctor Who. Uh, it was a, a, a Tom Baker, and I said my dreams have the special effects of, of BBC um, 1980s, 1970s. So like, if, if this, like... When, when did this happen? Yeah, when we... I don't remember this conversation. Yeah, but I was, we listened to... We saw like, the CSO on um, Horror Fang Rock. I was saying, like... And, like the oh, laser, oh, yeah, that yeah, far yeah, back. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. right, 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 right. But essentially, yeah, that's... that's a kind, that kind of stuff scares me. Because it just... <laughs> it, it looks so weird and un, 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 unrealistic, but it's also... It was shown on TV as if this is real. So real. It, just, it, it is like a nightmare. The way, like, if they move the camera near a flame, it would leave, like, a big, like, light trace across it because some, some it's burning out the, the, um, the video camera's things and stuff. It's just... And I, I, 
I'd also like to formally apologize to John because this is exactly what happens when we do general witch finders. We're like, we will start off and we will talk about this, this and this one thing only. 20 minutes later, we're talking about really bad 1980s TV and we're off. You know, <laughs> you know as, as, as an American, you know, the, uh, a PBS kid, the way yeah. that my exposure to British television came about through Masterpiece Theater mm. and what have you. And the, the other thing that I, I love was... Um, um, in the in the 1980s, British television would move from videotape uh, indoors to film outdoors, yeah. and it looked <laughs> it looked terrible. Yeah. I recently saw um, some Sergeant Crib. Do you remember Sergeant Crib? It was like a, no. a Victorian mystery okay. series that was uh, that was that, that ran in like 1981 or something like that. And they're, they're they're worth looking up, but the, but the, they had. In, they had awful production values and sometimes the audio was like the mic they were using was bad mm. but what i remember <laughs> most is there's a sequence in the first one where sergeant crib is walking through the british museum and they've they haven't even tried to like remove or cover up like the the the, the new h hvac then the <laughs> <laughs> but also but these things uh. are you would only see them once. They, they, no one's ever going to watch this again. You know, so it's just gone. And also, you've got to remember the TVs were so small and the quality was so bad and stuff. It's that's like when I because they just put all of the old Doctor Who's um, on iPlayer, uh, which is like our you know the BBC catch up, yeah, yeah. Our BBC thing. So they got the whole apart from the first story because the the um, the son of the guy who wrote it is in some big dispute with the uh, the BBC over it, but everything else is, uh, which hasn't been wiped is all on there. And I love Doctor Who, but I can only watch it like in very small chunks because that's how it was, that was how it was made, meant to be watched. So you can't like you think they just they just cut down the Daleks from 170 minutes down to 70 minutes, and even then I was just like, God, this is going on, man. Just <laughs> <laughs> get, get, get to the good bits, but um. Yeah, but that's that's what we had, you know. Um, yeah. Before we end this episode, we should probably swing right back to uh, John Christopher. Um, so uh, maybe give people out there uh, a, a preview of what happens in the next books, and Ooh. and and give your best your best sale to uh, a skeptical reader out there about why they would want to read these series today. Do you want to go, James, or should I? Okay, you, you you can go, okay. go, go for well, it, and I'll, I I'll, say, I'll pitch in. I'll... I would say that I I've got the collected version of it here. Um, Ooh. So sometimes it's called the Prince and Waiting trilogy. Sometimes it's called the Sword of the Spirits trilogy. So if you're looking for it, it's got it has different names on there. Um, and I got to say, when we got to the end of the first book, it does abruptly stop, and I just went straight on to the next book because it, even though. I've um I read I read it, the first book at school. I've read this uh, within the last couple of years. It is just a fun, like I said, all, a boys' adventure, and it, it's just really it's a really easy book to read, and mm -hmm. it, and and it's it just so much stuff happens, and and for something which has got an unlikable character, it is a it's someone you're kind of rooting for because everyone else is horrible as well and, 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 and again i think that's another game of thrones sort of kind of a analogy that you know it's, it's very human yeah it's, very it's, human. yeah it's a horrible world or horrible people in it but you just want the one you're you're following to sort to succeed um it i'm not sure how well the overall story was planned um 
because it, it but it goes all over the place as it goes after this. It ends up going to uh, Wales. Um, yes, uh, fighting Polly. Like there's, I think there's like a giant j- sort of like jelly cube, like a jelly monster. Yeah, you jelly say monst- it's a jelly monster. Um, <laughs> they meet- but also, um, the Welsh have become more technologically advanced, and they are using Machines. technology, aren't they? Yes. Uh, and then he comes back with a princess. And, yeah, and then there's fights between uh, him and his 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 um his stepbrother and the um and the the Christians and you know people taking cities back over again, cities joining up to fight each other and all that kind of stuff. But but I think it is interesting this whole idea of like is. It, should we go back to um, if if everything did go to if we did go back to square one? Should we just do we just rebuild it back to how it was before, or do we do something different? Because mm. just because that's the way things are now, is, it doesn't mean that's the right way for things to to be. Um, and I think it is always also interesting that this is a natural disaster. It would be so easy for them to say a nuclear war happened, and that's why like everything in the north north of um london is on fire it's mutated yeah. And, yeah, yeah but it, i think it was a very um an early kind of uh attempt to say like you know the world doesn't because they say at one point the world has never wasn't always like this and at any point it could change mm. and and yeah. you know we are just we're just something which lives on this planet and um if, if the world changes well- we'll probably die out to, to that end, Ross, he also wrote the uh, the novel uh, The Death of Grass, mm. which is also like a, all the crops fail around the world. And this kind of ties him into one of my favourite authors now, which is J.G. Ballard. And J.G. Ballard's kind of like apocalypse trilogy uh, that he wrote, they're very, very similar. And again, those ideas of, well, you know, should this happen? Should the apocalypse happen? You know, the, the earth just carries on without us. And, you know, us being here is is incidental. Yeah. And you're quite right. That that idea of, well, you know, if we were going to carry on, what's that going to look like? You know, that's, uh, yeah, you know, that's one of the things you can get out of this. Maybe not if you're a 15 year old boy, no. but now reading it again as an adult, certainly. But what I would say my pitch would be is, do you like the idea of Game of, Game of Thrones, but you're a busy individual with too much going on in their lives? Well, read the Prince in Waiting trilogy. It's yeah. pretty much the same touchstones and it's done in a tenth of the time. Yeah, and he has written the last <laughs> book, so you, d- you don't need to worry about it's it. It's done. Yeah. It's finished. <laughs> 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 Thanks again to my co-hosts, Ross Cleaver and James Randall. Their podcast is General Witchfinders. Sophomore Lit is brought to you by The Incomparable Network. Find more funny, smart podcasts online at theincomparable.com. And while you're there, check out how you can support this and other incomparable podcasts. You can write the show at sophomore.literature at gmail.com, or you can join in the discussion on the Sophomore Lit Facebook page, with the incomparable membership discord. Thanksgiving was kind of a nothing holiday for the longest time until Mm. it was declared uh, the start of the Christmas shopping season by uh, FDR to get people to spend money and get out of the... um, 
out of the depression and and since then it's marked the beginning of uh, you know there's this whole black friday thing which mm -hmm. is that everyone's with their family and they have nothing to do so they go to the mall but now malls don't exist so they <laughs> go online they buy stuff yeah we, we seem to have been given black black friday about the thanksgiving so we've just been, yeah. been <laughs> bombarded with black friday emails all week and, and it's just mainly just frustrating you because everything you've already bought for christmas you suddenly get like a thing say it's 30 percent off and you're like oh yeah, right. Yeah, it's just well, you're being so organized, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing could keep you from having your own Thanksgiving, you know. You can do whatever <laughs> no, you want. True. Yeah, but what we say, thank, thank you for what, you know? <laughs> thanks for Brexit. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so go, coming straight out of the gate with the politics. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>